Before I read the scripture, I uh, want to share with you what was already mentioned in the prayer, and that is that uh, we, I, uh, my wife and I and our six kids lived in Russia 25 years, and then in 2015, it was too hard to take care of all of our family needs and go on fundraising trips out of Russia, so we moved to Fort Worth. Uh, so we've been in this church now since 2016, as far as I can remember. Uh, and uh, about 2000, about that time, maybe a little later, we had a pastor from Ukraine who's uh, about a third of the Ukraine is, speaks Russian as their first language. And he started coming and teaching for us. His name is Sergei Sudakov. And a young, he's probably the most gifted uh, teacher in the... Ukrainian church that was planted by MTW by our denomination. And uh, so when the war started, he uh, evacuated to the western part of Ukraine because his home city, Kharkiv, was under constant bombardment and got surrounded, and then they beat them back and it's no longer surrounded. In any case, uh, he's the one I've been meaning to, trying to visit since the war began in some ways, to encourage him. I've, I've been a, uh, a distant mentor for him uh, for years now. And, uh, but he's, the last three days, they, they've been hit by about 30 rockets. And he just texted me when I was sitting in there that they got hit by a rocket. When you say rocket, I've seen pictures. I mean, it'll, it'll, take, it'll make a crater out of the size of this parking lot. You know, it's not like a hand grenade or something. So I told him we would pray for him. And uh, so about three rockets have landed within a few hundred yards of the church. And today was Sunday. Uh, I don't know if they were worshiping when the rockets hit or not. I guess if they do hit you while you're worshiping, it's a good way to, good way to go to see the Lord. But uh, so let's pray for him, and then, uh, then I'll read the passage. All right. Father God, we come before you. For Sergey and his wonderful church there of 70 souls, half of whom have come to the Lord after the war began. And uh, we pray for comfort and protection, Lord. Uh, I, think of, I think of Hezekiah who said that the army of Assyria was much greater, but their eyes were upon you. So this enemy on this earth is very much more powerful than the Ukrainian army and that the, than the protection around Kharkiv. And we pray, God, that you would protect not just them, but the whole city. We pray, Father God, that you would throw down forces of evil that are inspiring such murderous behavior. We pray that you would encourage him personally, as his wife and daughter have been out of the country now for two years almost, and he's barely been with them at all. We pray you would encourage him. Pray, Father, that Greg from here and I would be able to get to him on the 18th of January and... Uh, We'd be hope the railroads would still be intact, and we'd be able to visit and encourage them, and that we'd be able to raise uh, thousands of dollars for their humanitarian aid that they have used and through which many have come to Christ. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So we have lots of things to be grateful for, and one of them is that we're not being bombed as we speak. So there's various things to be grateful for. All right, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 
Luke 2, 21 through 40. We've been preaching through Luke. I have the last uh, two sermons, and now we're uh, getting to the end of Luke chapter 2. The name of this is Apocalypse Now. I'll get into that a little bit later. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and, he had, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she had, was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, Israel, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and are humbled that you, your rebellious people, would you would stoop down and give us your word and your son. Oh Father, we are unworthy. But we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your law, and that we would grow more and more into your image, the image of your Son, and bring glory to you in this new year of 2024. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have uh, two special guests today. I wanted everybody to know. My brother Blaine is here from Wichita Falls. He helped raise me. That's why I'm the nice, handsome guy that I am. And uh, Colin Peters is one of our guest speakers in charge of uh, RUF for uh, many states, for five states, and he is with us as well. So 
I'm going to mention my, our presbytery there, so now he can go back and tell them uh, and get me in trouble. <laughs> okay, Tim Keller, uh, the late Tim Keller and I have something in common. Both our families give quite a bit of critical feedback, and I've just preached two sermons. One, my wife says I've covered too many bases, and, uh, or maybe, well, she also always says I go too long, which I've never done my whole life. So she's a little confused. And uh, the, other, the other thing is my son, Zachary, was here last week. He said I tried to cover too many bases. So we're going to focus really mostly today on one verse. We're not going to cover all that we just read. As I said uh, last week, no one greeted Jesus the night of his birth. I said that. But here we have a formal greeting of the baby Jesus in the temple. His parents brought him in obedience to Exodus 13, redeeming the firstborn, and the law of cleansing for the mother after bearing a son in Leviticus 12, which is 30 days after his circumcision. So the baby Jesus was about 40 days old when these events took place. This, what was going on here, was God's shadow government an official acknowledgement of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. The interesting and paradoxical thing about this is that the high priests and the hierarchy, the leaders, the elders, probably didn't even know that these two prophets, a prophetess and a prophet, did what they did and said what they said. So God had a shadow government that was in place even in the temple but no one necessarily knew anything about it. Jesus was the glory of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. I've never used, this is my son's. I've never used this before. I'm going to try to prop it up. There we go. Will it stay? No. Do it this way? Do the same, but push it together. Like that. Oh, oh okay. Huh. We'll see. <laughs> I had 13 grandkids in the house this week, so I didn't print my sermon. Because uh, other things were going on. <laughs> 13 grandkids, yeah. It's, it was great. It was a glorious uh, mess. <laughs> but very fun. Okay. Jesus was the glory of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. Thus, he was the consummation of all that God wanted to do in and through his Old Testament people. This was their glorious end. Jesus was the glorious end of the people of Israel, right? Jesus was the fulfillment of every type, every promise of the Old Testament and God's purpose for Israel. Paul said in Romans 10, 4, for Christ, this is my, my interpretation because I've studied it, <laughs> for Christ is the end and fulfillment of the moral and ceremonial law, Right? And in 2 Corinthians 1, we read, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why we utter our amen to the glory of God. So we can't begin a new year with any better news than this, that the righteous requirements of God's perfect law are fulfilled in Christ. And His purposes for mankind and the earth are also fulfilled in Christ. As strange as it sounds, 
especially with wars and rumors of wars all around us. In Christ, even now, everything is moving along according to God's perfect plan. Strange to hear, strange to think about. But from some perspective, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, so according to the gospel in Christ, if we are in Christ by faith, then we are perfect in God's eyes. And now for the other side of the coin. We're, we are perfected in Christ, right? You can't get... When Jesus, if you have faith in Christ, when Jesus sees... When God the Father sees you and I, who does he, whom does he see? Jesus. You can't get any better. That's as good as it gets. Now the other side of the coin. According to the gospel... Israel and all believers, uh, Israel and believers from all nations are now one people in Christ. In Simeon's words, were and are a prophecy of the purpose of the church until the second coming of Christ. Mary was told that a sword would pierce her soul because it would first pierce Christ, metaphorically, right? He was pierced with nails, actually, or Huge, uh, huge, there's another word for those. Uh, uh, spikes. spikes, yes. His type of death was known at his birth. And why did he die for us? Let's think about that just real quick. Why did Christ die for us? Again, in Russia, we, we wait for a response. Payment for sin. Payment for sin. Very good. Not too far off there, young man. That's true, of course. Why else? Christ died to glorify himself. Okay. Very good. To assuage the Father's wrath. There you go. You're hitting all the notes on the keyboard. Very good, John. Thank you. Well, those are all true. But 2 Corinthians 5.15 puts it this way. And he died for all, which we take to mean all kinds of people, people from every culture and race, and time, and place, okay? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Why did Christ die for you and I? That you and I might live for him, okay? If you're an American, you hear he died to make you happy, okay? <laughs> and if you're an evangelical, he died so that you could live eternally with him. And in ultimately, obedience to God does make us, give us true happiness. But first and foremost, at least according to 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died that we might live for him. Listen to the text of Simeon's words in Greek. So I was told way back, don't ever use Greek in the pulpit. So I, I try to always use Greek. <laughs> I'm a little uh, contrarian. Phos eis apokalypsen ethnon. Phos eis apokalypsen. Phos is light. Eis is the um, or two. Apokalypsen is what? Huh? Apocalypse or Revelation. And then ethnon is nations, peoples, ethnic groups, 
culture's ethnon, right? Simeon saw the baby Jesus in the temple and said, The baby was an apocalypse. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation, apocalypse, apocalypse to the Gentiles. Simeon said that when he saw the baby Jesus, he saw God's salvation. That this same baby was a light of revelation to all the cultures of the world. And this being who Christ is, therefore, is the essence of what it means for us to live for Christ. We become a revelation of light to all cultures, God's people. So I want, as we head into 2024, to challenge us to make five resolutions based on Simeon's words, five New Year's resolutions. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> just nod. Whether you're ready or not, just nod, and I'll feel like you're paying attention. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm one of these guys that I have to have people with me. See? I can't go on if people have fallen asleep already. It's not that late, guys. You can, you can, you can hang in there, all right? Five points. All right. Number one, in 2024, we need to recommit to believing that salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. Interesting, huh? Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is a person. Salvation is not a philosophical abstraction, nor, which is hard for Reformed people to believe, nor a theological proposition. Salvation is not memorizing the shorter catechism. I know that some of you are going to faint when I say that. You're going to faint. You can't. Can't stand it. <laughs> My eyes have seen your salvation means I have seen Jesus, and he was and is putting all things right in heaven and on earth and has my eternal destiny in his hands, and all is safe and all is good. My salvation is in seeing him as my Savior and following him. My salvation is seeing him and following him as my Savior. It's Jesus, Okay. <laughs> the, you know, the, the Sunday, every Sunday school question is answered with Jesus, and this, is, and this situation is right. In 2024, we need to recommit to keeping our eyes on Jesus. What does this mean? The next three points, in order to, or four points actually in this sermon, are all fleshing out what this means. Seeing and follow, following Jesus is multidimensional, as we shall see. But what is the main mark of a person who's really trying to relate to Jesus? So I had uh, Lewis, we had four more or less uh, ill grandchildren this week, but we had a devotional, I think, yesterday or day before, and I asked, what's the main mark of, a, of a, when you try to relate, have a relationship with somebody? What do you have to do as a human to relate to someone? Converse, you have to talk and listen, Right? I'm, yeah, you have to talk and listen. So, listening, of course, we'll talk about in a minute, is the Word of God. We listen to the Word of God, but then we have to talk to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So, in 2024, 
if we view salvation as a person, we will have a very active prayer life. You see? If you're just reading theology books or thinking great philosophical thoughts, but you're not talking to Jesus, you, you either don't know him at all or you're not growing in your relationship with Christ. You know, it's one of the two. <laughs> if you believe that salvation is a person, you will talk to Jesus. You and I will. And this challenges me, of course, as, as much as it does anybody. Talking to Jesus proves that we believe that salvation is a person. You don't talk to the shorter catechism, I hope. I hope. Maybe some of you do. <laughs> and I hope the shorter catechism doesn't talk back to you. <laughs> that would be scary. Okay, number two, recommit to making Jesus more and more a light of revelation to the nations. This is my bailiwick. Christ is by nature a light of revelation to all nations. So we cannot claim to know him but be disinterested in the spiritual fate of the world. We have the privilege of living to see the prophecy of Simeon fulfilled in our day. Okay? Listen now. In 1900, twice as many Christians lived in Europe than the rest of the world combined. 123 years ago. Today, more Christians live in Africa than any other continent. By 2050, Africa will be home to 1.3 billion Christians, while Latin America will have 686 million and Asia 560 million. And both of these put together are more than we will have. Europe will have 497 million Christians and North America 276 million. So Christianity is the first truly global religion. I even read there are something like... uh, 200,000 or more believers in Saudi Arabia, of all places, where to convert is a death penalty. Jesus is the light of revelation in every country of the world in 2023. But we need to understand that living out what Jesus is is not an option. The Jesus of our salvation is also a light to all nations. If we make him only a light to my nation my culture, and my soul, we do not understand him and are not following him. You understand? You can't change Jesus. He's a light to the nations. If you don't want to be a part of being a light to the nations, you can't follow Christ. <laughs> my father, my brother's here. My father never understood that. He was, he was a... He tried to be a faithful Christian, but he never understood that God would... Make us a light to the nations. He, ne- he, he, he came to Russia and visited us uh, in the 90s, but he never understood that. He never could figure out why you should inconvenience yourself uh, for the sake of other cultures. It was sad. But he did eventually, he was eventually proud of me when I got ordained in the PCA because <laughs> he was a Presbyterian. So I'm in the middle of reading the, the PCA's magazine, Celebrating 50 years. Right here, I brought it. Have any of y'all gotten this at home? So, some, some of you have. Yeah, a few of you have. Try to get it. I mean, it's, it's really worth the read. Uh, because one of the things that shares our failures as well as 
what God, what, how we've trusted the Lord to do certain things. It includes an article about Frank Barker of Briarwood. And uh, right before COVID, I had the privilege of being one of the speakers at Briarwood. They, in fact, they had me share about our ministry in Russia in front of the whole church, which is very rare, uh, you know, because there were, I don't know, 2,000 people at that service, and they had another service, right, in Birmingham, Alabama. And what Frank Barker started was called Faith Promise. And they try to have, they, they don't put missions on the budget, and then they try to raise as much money for international missions as the whole church budget. So I think, I might be wrong, I'm from Texas, I might exaggerate from time to time. But I think the year I was there, they raised $20 million for missions, and their church budget was less than that. So that's not a bad model, guys, for this church. <laughs> or for all churches. Trust God to make your missions giving bigger than your church budget. And that would be... You like that idea? Okay. Our former head of our missions committee. Very good. And, they, and they, they, I think they almost do it every year as far as I know. So uh, that's wonderful. But this is only half the picture of Jesus being a light to all the cultures of the world. If you go to page 47 of the report, one of the founding fathers in the PCA, Jim Baird, is quoted from his speech to the GA General Assembly in 2015. In 1973, when the PCA was founded, he said, I did not lift a finger to help with civil rights. That's what he said. Therefore, I confess my sin. He said, I did not think of ourselves as racist, but we did nothing to include our black brethren in the PCA, he added. When he confessed, <clears throat> when he confessed this, many in the room began to weep. We were finally beginning to be honest about our past and to confess it so that healing can come, another leader admitted. So I, again, we're starting the new year, and I'm, as a preacher of the word and a guy that gets around uh, both overseas and here, I think we still have a challenge in this area. If you go to our presbytery meetings, this is where I'm going to get in big trouble, uh, guess what nationality and culture uh, 99.9% of everybody in our presbytery is. Handsome white men like me and Colin. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. Uh, what percentage of North Texas? We have about, I think, 10 million in our presbytery, 10 million people in our presbytery. What percentage are African American and Latino in North Texas? 50%. If you add uh, if you add Asians and Middle Easterners, probably get up to 55, 60%, right? And yet our presbytery uh, does not have representation from those people. And, and I'm not saying it, it happens easily. I'm not even saying it's, it's 100% our fault, but I'm saying we're about as segregated as we were in 1973, at least in our presbytery. About the same. I mean, it can't be any different because we don't have anybody. <laughs> I mean, we, okay, we have one or two, and every, somebody will come and tell me, oh, we have one or two. We have a guy over there that spoke Spanish when he was a kid, and, you know, <laughs> kind of silly stuff like that. So uh, when he says we're a light to all cultures of the world, 
He means it. And even if it means us learning another language or honoring other cultures, you know, uh, I used to speak Spanish, and now I'm fluent in Russian. And look, it hadn't killed me. It, it's made me richer. Porque Dios dijo que Jesús es un luz de revelación para los naciones. That's more or less correctly done. <laughs> Number three. In 2024, we need to recommit to the complete apocalyptic Jesus. Simeon said Christ was the light of revelation. The word in Hebrew, they don't have the word revelation per se in Hebrew, is the word vision, okay? And in Hebrew, it's chason, chason. Ezekiel 7.26 says disaster comes upon, uh, disaster comes upon disaster, rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and the counsel from the elders. So here... Uh, here, the vision, the revelation is equated to, to the word of God. In, tw- in Proverbs 29, 18, same thing. Where there is no prophetic vision, chason, the people perish. Or in the ESV, they cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And then in the Greek version of that same verse, it says, where there is no exegesis. All right, I just lost my text. (laughs) Woo, okay. (laughs) I warned my son that might happen. (laughs) There you go. Very nice, very nice. Here you go. When you take this, there you go. Great. Well, good. That's about as smooth as it could be. So, uh, in the Proverbs, it says, where there is no exegesis in the Greek. The people perish. No exegesis. No opening up. The, the, the reality of God's truth is not coming out. The people perish. Okay? So, uh, I find what I uh, believe, what we're seeing, in, when, when Simeon says that uh, Christ is a light of revelation, there is a great mystery here, and my granddaughter Stasia said it well yesterday because I said Christ is both a person and he's the word of God who created the universe. So he's a person and he's the word. Well, what is the word? Well, the word is the whole Bible. So the proverb in the Ezekiel passage I just listed, they, 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 they refer to revelation, the, the, what it means, revelation in the Old Testament, is the whole Bible if you take the an-, an analogy of it. So for us to, to know Christ, we have to know what? The whole Bible. You can't just know the Gospels or what Christ said. You have to commit to the whole Bible. So what I have, we have 30 church leaders in Russia in about 30 churches, and uh, we're challenging them now, and they've been doing it. We have a table online, and they check off when they've read it. Because mo- a lot of our pastors have never read the Bible, at least not according to a plan. Never read the whole Bible. And they've been preaching, some of them, for 20 years. <laughs> so I'm challenging these 30 churches throughout the Russian-speaking world to get on this Bible reading program. It's chronological through the New Testament first, and then chronological through the Old Testament. And I'm challenging, or I'm opening the, the floodgates of blessing for you all. 
So anybody that wants to get on the Bible reading plan can. Just let us know. I'll send out a letter through Autumn this week. And you can get on this Bible reading plan because we need the revelation of Christ in our lives. We need the whole Bible in our lives, even the hard parts. I mean, every year, you know, I've been doing this. I I heard about this in 1979. I've been doing it since 1979. (laughs) And uh, every time when I get to the book of Leviticus, I think, why is this in the Bible? (laughs) Maybe y'all don't. Y'all love Leviticus, but it's a hard book to slog through. But we need it all. And then when we interact, if you have a little chat online, which we can organize, we can try to figure out why Leviticus is in the Bible. (laughs) I think I I know why, but it's still not an easy book to to deal with. So... uh, The revelation is a revelation of the whole Bible, and it's the person of Jesus. So we need the Word of God flooding into our lives, and we need to be talking to God about what we're hearing and seeing. It's a two-way conversation. All right. So without exegesis, the people perish. The fourth thing we need is to experience the second apocalypse. If you remember, Simeon actually said, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is actually the same word. It's, it's actually also apocalypse. That the hearts of many may be revealed in what we just read. So there's two apocalypses here. There is Christ revealing himself to us, and then what happens when he reveals himself to us is we have an inward experience if we know him. And that is our hearts are revealed. That's what Simeon said. He was first and foremost talking about the Jews uh, being obviously the hierarchy of Israel was corrupt and false, right? So he's first of all saying that the, the person of Christ and the gospel would show that officially anyway Israel was apostate. That's the first thing. But we know from, Ephesians, from Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active, and it discerns the thoughts and, uh, and intentions of the heart. So when you and I read the Bible, God is doing, and when we hear a sermon preached, and when we, hear, we listen to things online or whatever we get our word intake, God is doing spiritual surgery on us. God is speaking, and he's exposing us. He's exposing our motives. So all the day, especially 2024, we need to have the kind of relationship where we're saying, God, expose me, because we will be exposed in the end. (laughs) And that's what he was talking about. He was really talking to the Jews there. On Judgment Day, you're going to find out that you never were a believer. Even though you're a great Jew, you're a great Pharisee, you know, you, you fulfill the law in some uh, technical way. So, uh, God wants the Word of God to be doing spiritual surgery on us as we pray, as we read it. Uh, I think of uh, Isaiah 66 too, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. 
Have we ever, has anyone, any church, any denomination, any presbytery ever completely fulfilled the will of God? No. <laughs> In fact, Paul even said, uh, not, that I, not that I have reached perfection in Philippians 3. Not that I'm perfect, but I press on because Christ, to make Christ my own. Because what? Because he has made, already made me his own. Philippians 3. <laughs> okay? So, I, I love the PCA. It's my home church. But when you love someone, you share uh, critique of them. Presbyterian Church in America. Faithful to the scriptures. Has any denomination in the history of the world ever been totally faithful to the scriptures? No, it's not possible. Obedient to the Great Commission. Has anybody in the history of the world ever been totally obedient to the Great Commission? <laughs> Answer is no. And uh, I, I, I just traveled to many, many churches, and I had one man say to me, you know, when I was at Presbyterian, he was a 67, 8-year-old. He said... The one thing I experienced when I was going through ordination was arrogance in Presbyterian. Arrogance. <laughs> but this is the man to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Brothers and sisters, if, we, if, the, if the PCA or any other denomination wants to be used of God, the mark we have to have is complete trembling before God's word. Humility. Constant repentance, constant having the Word of God do a deep work in our heart and lives. And I'm ha I would be, if they would talk to me about it, they didn't call me up before they printed this. That's, that's a problem. So striving to be faithful to the Scriptures, striving, hoping and praying and fasting, calling upon God, Lord, break our hearts, show our blind spots, obedient to the Great Commission. Hoping and praying to be obedient to the Great Commission. On our faces before God to be obedient to the Great Commission. But not just plain old obedient to the Great Commission. <laughs> Nobody in the history of the world has ever done that. Oh, well, maybe we have. I didn't know. Now I know. Because <laughs> it's printed on the back of the book, right? <laughs> Y'all don't think it's funny. I think it's very funny. Y'all don't have a good sense of Texas Aggie humor the way I do. Okay. Number, the last one. In 2024, we would need to recommit to, to the apocalyptic Jesus that came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And uh, the best example of this I can think of are two. My son, Louis, when he was in Russia after the war started, got together with other Christians from other denominations and started a prayer group on Telegram, Right? against the war. The Bible says, how can you love God, 1 John 4.20, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen? Can a Christian say, it's okay for me to go kill Ukrainians because the government told me to? Men, women, and children. Is, it, is that okay? Go kill believers? Westminster Confession of Faith, we used it this year. Communion of Saints, chapter 26. We, you and I are responsible to work for the, the physical and spiritual goodwill of all believers on the face of the earth. 
We can't say, well, my country has a different agenda. It's to wipe them out. <laughs> you can't do that. So, I'm very proud of Lewis. He could have been arrested and given an eight-year jail prison time for that movement he got started, and they got out just a few months ago, and partially because they were warned that if he kept doing it, he could be arrested. The second one is uh, Sergei, who I started the sermon with. Sergei could have fled to safe safety. Instead, Sergei went back to Kharkiv, where we hope to go in a few weeks, and uh, they, they had uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up for their church property. And guess what they did? They used that money to buy three giant trucks and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to give humanitarian aid to keep people alive in Kharkiv. And he ran for a year and a half back and forth from western Ukraine to there. 150,000 people of the 400,000 uh, refugees got help from one little Presbyterian church. Can you imagine that? It makes me choke up right now. 150,000 from one church because they spent their whole property budget. No more money. And now 30, they, they lost about 70 people. They have 30 of the old church. And now 35 people have joined the church that never knew the Lord before. 35 new, new believers. Because partially because of that humanitarian aid they gave to them. These are all people who fled eastern Ukraine that's occupied by Russia now. So, in Jesus' economy, in the fourth chapter of Luke, it says he came to set the oppressed free. And in the church, what that often means, I just saw my son, <laughs> what that means is Galatians 6, bearing one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So our hope is to be with him and just be, be with him while they're being bombed. That's our hope. He's such a brave guy, he hasn't seen his wife and daughter for two years. Can you imagine? And he's voluntarily gone back to that city. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you humbly and help. Help us to see Christ as our revelation in 2024 and help us to be a revelation to all cultures in 2024. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.